you'll turn in your Bibles or New Testaments to Luke chapter 7. We're going to just in a few moments start reading at verse 36. So appreciative of everyone that's here. What a good crowd on a Wednesday night. It shows your spiritual interest to be here, to hear uh, not only these songs uh, sung by in such a fine uh, way of being led by Barrett, but also to be able to pray together. And Matthew, thank you for remembering all those folks and, and your prayers and also for praying for me. I, years ago, I was hearing a lesson from a preacher and and he was talking about how, what we ought not to pray. And he said, one of the things I think people don't need to pray for is is for me to have a good recollection of the things that I'm prepared to say. And and I thought, well, that might not be what he wants, but I always want that. <laughs> you know, you keep praying that prayer. I, I need a good recollection of the things I've prepared. I've prepared them. But boy, the prayer that you have a good recollection of those things is, is a very powerful prayer to me. So thank you for that prayer. And we're so glad to be here. I'm glad that I have my sweet Christy with me this week. Sometimes she cannot travel with me, but she's here. I wonder why. I guess those granddaughters are such a pull for her to be here with me, but it's always a blessing when she's here, even though uh, she is a uh, she was a high school English teacher in school, so uh, it's, it's uh, kind of intimidating when you have a high school uh, English teacher in the audience and it happens to be your wife. In Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36, the text says that one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Jesus went to the Pharisee's house. Typically, Jesus would go to the house of uh, tax collectors and sinners. But here he went to the Pharisee's house. And the Pharisee did a good thing inviting him to the house. But then he didn't do a very good thing as far as his thoughts and, and, and heart and, and his mind. When it, In verse 39, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, notice he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Pharisee, the one that is supposed to be a leader in the, in the religious world of the Jews at this time, looks disparaging on someone that needed Jesus. And we'll get to that in a moment. But in Luke 7 and verse 34, Jesus declares that this generation of Jews viewed him as being a friend of tax collectors and sinners who were considered reprobates and despised by the Jews. They viewed him that way because that was the reality. Jesus was the friend of all people. 
Jesus had a love for the souls of all people. And really, this attitude of the Jews is not uncommon in Jesus' ministry. Look at uh, Luke chapter 19, if you will. We'll begin reading verse 1, the story of Zacchaeus. And sometimes we'll sing the song and we forget that he's a tax collector. And he was over several other tax collectors. He was a tax collector of the tax collectors. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, Luke 19 and verse 1, and now in verse 2. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not for the crowd, because he was of short stature. And he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, He, was go- he was, has gone to, to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Notice how they <laughs> equated a tax collector as being a sinner. And when they, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, look, Lord, I gave half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore to him fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is the son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. What a great story that is. And every time I read that story, the song, does it just flow through your mind like it does my mind? Zacchaeus is this chief tax collector who really purchased the right to do that from the Romans. And many in his profession would charge large fees above the Roman tax for the purpose of making a profit. And that's why, ladies and gentlemen, the Jews hated them. And Zacchaeus, who we see from the text is a prominent wealthy man, is an honest tax collector who gives half of his goods to the poor. So he was a good man, trying to do the right thing with his money, trying to help people with his money. And Jesus tells Zacchaeus that he will be going to his, his house that very day. And notice the reaction of Zacchaeus. He receives the Lord with pure joy. And that's the very way we need to receive the Lord. We need to receive the Lord and his message to us with pure joy, that we have the right to have the complete word of God where we can go to it anytime we want to and read and study it and know how to live our lives, know how to worship God in spirit and in truth, and know how to start this journey toward heaven. But you see, Jesus was not seeking to stay in the finest home in Jericho or, show, or in some way show preference to this man of wealth, Jesus was reaching out to what the Jews looked at as a sinner who humbled himself and wanted to know more about Jesus. The gospel, ladies and gentlemen, is for all, including those who are not thought to be good candidates by others. Do we have that problem? Do we look at someone 
and go ahead and make the uh, analysis, that's not a good candidate. We need to be about the business of trying to see people like Jesus sees them as precious souls that need need to be saved. This is Jesus, the one that would seek and save that which is lost. But how did the Jews of the city respond? Notice verse 7. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Why, why the hatred for this good man? Well, I think, first of all, we know it's because he was a chief tax collector. He not only had the right from the Roman government to get the extra profit, but he also hired others to do the same thing, to collect the taxes of the city. And they wrongly viewed this man like the rest of the tax collectors that they despised. They viewed him as a crook, even though he was not. And then another text that describes the attitudes of the scribes and Pharisees is in Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 29. Luke 5, verse 29. And Levi, who we know as Matthew, gave him a great feast in his own house. It, it just strikes me how the Jews despised the tax collector, and it just seemed tax collectors, but it just seemed the tax collectors always invited Jesus into their home and wanted to hear the words of Jesus, the words to salvation. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. Sometimes we forget that in the text. Not only was Matthew there, but he just invited all his friends that were tax collectors to come too, and they came. But their their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink? Notice again, with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus answered and said to them, it's just just wonderful to hear the master's words, the master teacher's words. They're so powerful. It takes somebody from God to, to, to come up with words like this so, so, of such magnitude. And Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well do not need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Think about this. The scribes and Pharisees view themselves as spiritually healthy, but are as spiritually sick as the publicans and sinners they condemn. And we have to be careful about that. Are we in the business of trying to condemn people or or save people? I I love what Robert Turner used to always say about trying to condemn somebody to hell and say that person is going to hell. He he said, "We, we start whittling on God's end of the stick. And what we need to be about the business of is trying to preach and teach this truth 
that we know is the inspired message from God in its, its, in its simplicity and try to bring others to our Lord Jesus Christ, but do it based upon the truth of God. Truth can never be compromised, and if we compromise truth, we're no better than anyone else in the religious world. We have to preach truth plainly, but we have to do it kindly with the love we have for the soul. I think about the fact that a lot of our society are, are truly homophobic. And when I talk to young preachers, and, and I was talking to one after he preached a lesson on homosexuality, and he, oh, he preached the truth on it. But I asked him, I said, when you preach that the next time, I want you to imagine, I said, have you ever had a friend that was homosexual? And he said, yes. And I said, I have too. And I said, if you're going to preach that lesson, I want you to see that friend of yours in the front row. And you try to preach it in a way to try to bring him to the Lord. We have to have an interest for the souls of all people. You remember the passages in the New Testament that talks about all those sins of fornication and lying and homosexuality and then the idea of some, such were some of you. Somebody had the disposition of mind to love their soul enough to talk to them about the gospel to let them come to Christ and to sin no more. They thought they were healthy, but they were just as sick as everyone else spiritually. And the truth of the matter is that all in Matthew's house need the great physician. And we need him too. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. I am so thankful I still, as a Christian, have access to forgiveness in Christ. That when I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse me of my sins and and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. We all need the physician. We all need salvation. That is the very thing that Jesus tells Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. Luke chapter 19 and verse 9. And the source of the salvation has truly come to his house in the form of Jesus Christ. And Zacchaeus is ready to do works worthy of repentance. And the result of this is a different way of living for this good man. In Matthew's house, Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Luke chapter 5 and verse 32. So, it is in this Pharisaic atmosphere that Jesus does the unexpected and accepts the invitation not of a tax collector and sinner, but of a Pharisee to meet, eat a meal at his house. Both groups, remember, need Jesus. Both groups need reformation. Both groups need salvation. And to making oneself available to spend time with others and treating them with kindness does not necessarily imply agreement with their spiritual conclusions. 
Some people come to the conclusion if Jesus goes to the house of sinners that he agrees with what they're doing. And that's to miss it entirely. It is, nor is it predicated upon agreement with their spiritual conclusion. Jesus came to try to save their souls, to draw them to, to the right conclusions about where they are spiritually. And we try to do the same thing in a logical way from the Word of God for people of the world. We want to appeal to their souls and try to have that loving spirit that this is the Word of God, that it is the authority in religion. And if you obey it, you'll be saved, but sadly, if you don't, you'll be lost. Barclay adds, the scene is the courtyard of the house of Simon the Pharisee. The houses of the well-to-do people were built round an open courtyard in the form of a hollow square. And often in the courtyard there would be a garden and a fountain. And there in the warm weather, meals were eaten. It was the custom that when a rabbi was at a meal in such a house, all kinds of people came in. And that answers the question, really, how did this woman end up here? How did she even get in? Because that was their custom. Here's a great rabbi. All people that can come. And all the kinds of people did come. And they were quite free to do so, to listen to the pearls of wisdom which fell from his lips. That explains the presence of the woman. And that leads me to my first point. Jesus draws sinners. And that's why every person in this audience that has obeyed the gospel, you were drawn in by Jesus and his teaching on how to be saved. And Jesus said himself, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So Jesus draws sinners. Notice uh, again Luke 7, starting in verse 37. Luke 7, starting in verse 37. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. And isn't it interesting how uh, Luke just goes, at, goes ahead and identifies what she was? She was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, don't we find it obvious that when this great rabbi Jesus comes to this house, can you just see the word spread around the city that Jesus is here? He's in the house of Simon the Pharisee. And this woman must have heard it and knows that Jesus is there and knows that Jesus will be reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She is determined to get to Jesus even if it means going to a Pharisee's house where she is despised. Do we want to get to Jesus that badly? That we would go ahead and say, bring it on. The criticism, 
uh, all the vitriol, all the ugliness, just come, just bring it on because I'm going to get near Jesus. Caldwell adds, this strict, strict Pharisee would not have chosen to personally invite a sinful woman. Uninvited neighbors were apparently sometimes allowed in their culture to come in and sit around the wall to share the presence of an honored guest, even though they would not be invited to join the meal. She was determined, even though that was not custom, to get to the very feet of Jesus. What great courage she had. What a, what a wonderful example of somebody that wanted salvation. But whatever the case, this woman works her way into Simon's house right to the foot of Jesus. Now, the question that always comes up, and it's not in the text, how she did it. How did? Could you imagine how thick that crowd was? How did that woman get to the very foot of, of Jesus? This woman everybody knew was a sinner. How did she get there? By pure determination is how she got there. I, I always, uh, when I when I was looking at that, it reminded me when I was uh, I coached cross country, and I had a, I had a girl. Her name was Becca Bridge. I didn't turn it on, did I? Okay, he shook his head. No, you didn't. Her name was Becca Bridge. She was the best runner I ever had. And her freshman year. I would get Reagan, and I think Reagan was probably fifth grader. Were you about fifth grade? Yeah, about fifth grade. I wanted her to continue to, to see her potential, so I, I'd use Reagan as a rabbit. And I'd put him, and, and Reagan was a good runner even in the fifth grade. So I'd put him 200 yards in front of her in the, the route that we did. And she only caught Reagan one time. But that was the time that she became a great runner. She finally caught him. But her problem was she was shy. She was timid. And when you get to a, when you get to a cross-country meet, you can't be timid. Because the, the best runners have to get to the front. And so she said, Coach McClenny, how, how am I going to get to the front? I said, well, I know exactly how you're going to do it. She said, well, how? I said, you're going to go up there real confident. And I said, I know that's not easy for you, but, you, but you're going to be real confident. And you're just going to do this. You're just going to say, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Oh, excuse me. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. And then you'll be at the front of the line. <laughs> and she said, what about my teammates? I said, they'll be right behind you saying the same thing. I gave the speech to all of them. And so I'll never forget the first time she did it. And, I, and she, she just stuck that chest out. And I, I could see her take a deep breath, and she said, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And she got to the very front. And then at the end of the year, she, she was fifth in state. So what's the point? It was something like that. She was determined. She was going to do what she had to do to get to the very feet of Jesus. 
she brings with her an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, which would be very expensive. Think about it, how much work she had to do to get this fragrant oil. And it's probably made of marble like gypsum rock, and the oil is more likely an expensive perfume. And it was the custom of the time for the, ge- the guests to remove the sandals before the meal and recline on the left elbow or side with the feet outward from the table, if you can imagine that. And with that in mind, the woman is standing at the feet of Jesus weeping. And this woman is probably weeping with joy from being at the feet of Jesus and the shame at the sinful life she lives. And we've all been where this woman is. That very place at the feet of Jesus, crying out, Lord, forgive me. We've been at the edge of salvation sometimes. And finally we go over the edge and get at the feet of Jesus to have our sins washed away. She is crying so profusely that her tears wet the unwashed feet of Jesus. And then she kneels and washes Jesus' feet with her hair, kisses his feet, and anoints his feet with the fragrant perfume she brought. One author adds, she wept so much that she wet his feet with her tears. In order to wipe his feet, She let her hair down in public, something regarded as shameful. She was in the grip of her emotions and oblivious to what others thought. And that's how we have to be if we want to come to Jesus. I couldn't couldn't think about when I obeyed the gospel that various people that were probably scared to even have me near their children as far as their high school children, afraid that I would influence them for evil. You know, I had my uncle saying, oh, what a glorious day. And then after I obeyed the gospel, I have one. There's always one, by the way, that always says the wrong thing. And so he comes up to me and says, I hope you live it. Uh, that, that, By the way, don't say that to a new convert. Say it's a glorious day. And that man did not want me to be around his child before I obeyed the gospel. But then, after I, I guess I'd proved myself, he wanted me to associate with him all the time. She did not stop kissing his feet out of deep reverence. Then she poured rare and expensive perfume, normally reserved for the head, on his feet. She loved Jesus with all her heart. See, this woman did act courageously and humbly and is is filled with love and devotion and reverence for the Lord. And like Jesus, this woman has no concern for the criticism which will come with such an act of service and love. And that's how we have to be. We're just going to serve Jesus. We need to quit worrying about what others think in our devoted service to our Lord. We need to be worried about what the Lord thinks and just be about the business of pleasing Him. And that leads me to point two. Jesus cares for sinners. Let's pick up at verse 39. 
Now, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors who owed him 50 hundred denarii and the other 50. 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my feet with my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. So ironically, the host criticizes Jesus more than he does the sinful woman. Simon the Pharisee thinks, thinks within himself that if this man is truly a prophet, he would know the kind of woman who is touching him. She is a sinner. And t- typical of a Pharisee, Simon views himself as maintaining a special level of righteousness even above the Lord himself. He does not see this sinful woman as Jesus sees her. Simon the Pharisee sees the woman as she had been. And Jesus sees the potential for what can become. And do we view people that way? Do we see the potential of what they can become? And Jesus knows that our humble, loving, contrite heart is ready for salvation. Simon will now learn that Jesus is from God and also a prophet because Jesus knew Simon and his thoughts. Don't you know that was shocking? And Jesus also knew the woman's spirit and character and past sinful actions. So Jesus now has something to say, and Simon Simon is ready to listen to the master. Jesus tells a parable of two debtors. One owes 500 denarii, and that's a day's wage. You do a a certain amount per hour times eight hours times 500, and if it's $15 an hour, it'd be like $60,000. And the other had 50, and that's about 6,000. 60,000 to 6,000. But they have nothing with which to repay the debt, and the creditor, creditor forgives them both. Jesus asked Simon, which of them will love the creditor more? And Simon supposes the one who has the bigger debt canceled, and he was right. And Jesus commends him for it. Now Jesus will make his point. His point is that he cares for both Simon and the woman. But while Simon is filled with pride and self-righteousness, the woman is expressing faith, love, and humility, as well as fulfilling the hospitality to a guest that Simon, the host, should have fulfilled. 
Simon did not give Jesus the courtesy of water to wash his feet or olive oil to anoint his head. He did not do the customary kissing the cheeks. But this woman washed Jesus' feet with tears, wiped them with her hair, kissed his feet, and anointed his feet with expensive perfume. This woman exceeds Simon in every courtesy and every kindness. And the self-righteous Pharisee did not think he was as simple as the woman and would presume that he was in better standing with the creditor. And that leads me to my final point. Jesus forgives sinners. Thanks be to God that's the case. Jesus says to Simon that the woman's sins, which are many, are forgiven. Jesus knows the penitent, humble spirit of the woman who is ready for forgiveness. Jesus also knows that she is full of faith. This woman's loving much is a result of her great faith in Jesus that he will provide her spiritual needs, including forgiveness of sins. Let's pray we can get that message across to this lost and dying world. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little is the warning to Simon, who like other Pharisees is self-righteous and prideful. He feels there is little sin in his life, especially compared to this sinful woman. And we have to be careful we don't compare ourselves with others. We need to compare ourselves with the Word of God and live accordingly. He therefore has little appreciation for God's kindness, mercy, and grace exhibited in forgiveness. And Jesus now addresses the woman and says, your sins are forgiven. And what wonderful acknowledgement of her humble and contrite spirit and her works worthy of repentance. And those who sat at the table with Jesus began to say to themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? And sadly, when you say that about Jesus, You're not even at the edge of salvation. And the reason they weren't was because of self-righteousness and hypocrisy. They know that the one who forgives sins is God. And it just shows they reject Jesus as the Messiah. And then Jesus declares to the woman publicly, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus knows this woman's heart, her faith, and her trust in his mercy and pardon. And Jesus ends by telling the woman to go with the peace of God. I like what F. Lagarde Smith says in conclusion. He says, for his part, Jesus cut through all the social and cultural conditions. It didn't matter to him whether he was ministering to a Gentile, a widow, or even a prostitute. Jesus saw people as individual souls. We need to see them that way. Wholly apart from their backgrounds and outer trappings. And he met them at the point of their need. If they needed healing, he healed them. If they needed encouraging, encouraging, he encouraged them. If they needed forgiveness, he forgave them. I want to leave you with uh, three admonitions. They're simple. Number one, strive to see people as Jesus sees them. That's going to be a big thing for us. 
Let's just look at all people as having precious souls because that's what they have. Number two, show loving kindness to all people. We should never be guilty of not being kind. We should treat all people with kindness. And then thirdly, love Jesus enough to bravely come to him. And if you're not a Christian, you might be on the edge of salvation. And if you you are there, you know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Have faith in Christ Jesus enough to know what you need to do to be saved, which is repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. If you'll repent of your sins, which is that change of mind that leads to a change of life, and confess Jesus as Christ, you can be baptized into Christ tonight while together we stand and sing.